managers and leaders have been boxed in and limited, just like employees, by this narrow definition of what career development is. The anxiety, the stress, the, the fear that I hear from managers who don't want to disappoint their people. Hey, it's David, and you're listening to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul, your source for practical leadership inspiration, tools, and strategies you can use to achieve transformational results without sacrificing your humanity or your mind in the process. All right, welcome to the show today. I cannot tell you how excited I am for our guest today, Julie Winkle Giuliani. I mean, Julie, I've been looking forward to this. I think we scheduled this uh, conversation like six months ago, and I have been looking forward to it on the calendar since then. So I'm so glad you're here. Let me tell the audience about you. Julie is a longtime friend of Let's Grow Leaders and, uh, and and myself personally. Julie was one of the very, very first people to endorse uh, and support my very first book uh, back in 2012, 2013. We met on Twitter, if you can believe that. So, uh, and, and you'll find out that is not apart from Julie's character. She's very consistent and she is a champion for workplace growth and development. She helps executive and leaders optimize talent and potential within their organizations. She's one of Inc. Magazine's top 100 leadership speakers. And she's the author of some fantastic books. One of these has been on my bookshelf. It's an international bestseller. She's the co-author and uh, it's been in, translated seven different languages. Uh, uh, we've talked to her co-author before on the show. So if you don't have this one, you wanna make sure and have it. Help them grow or watch them go. Career conversations, organizations need and employees want. Now, however big a fan I am of that book, we're not talking about that today, Julie, because you have a new book out called Promotions Are So Yesterday redefine career development, help employees thrive. And this is a fantastic resource we're gonna get into. Julie is also a regular columnist for Training Industry Magazine, Smart Brief, contributes articles on leadership, career development, workplace trends on all sorts of different places, including The Economist. Okay, Julie, I'm gonna stop there. Thank you for being here. Welcome to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul. Oh my goodness, David, what an introduction. I'm so glad that's on tape. I gotta share it with my family. (laughs) It's one of those things, sometimes we gotta let our kids know just how cool we are, right? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I've been looking forward to this. Thank you so much. This is a real treat to get to visit with you. Oh, it is for me too, Julie. I I really do appreciate it. And, uh, you know, as I said, I really am grateful for all of your support over the years. And you have been such a a friend to Let's Grow Leaders. And we've had so many good discussions over the years about uh, about the industry, about leadership, about all all different aspects of this. I'm so glad that we can take a deeper dive into this new work you have out because it is both fascinating and so incredibly useful. And I know everybody's going to get a lot of value. That said, have to ask you to start us, take us back, if you would, to your earliest memory of yourself as a leader. <laughs> So I don't know if this is as much my memory as the memory that was sort of put in my head. My mother always told the story about the very first parent-teacher conference she ever attended for me. And it was in kindergarten. And she, you know, went in. I had come home with, you know, stars on my papers and whatever. What she wasn't expecting to hear from Mrs. Gardner, the kindergarten teacher, was that the woman was afraid to leave the classroom for fear I would take over and she <laughs> might not be able to wrestle control back when she returned. 
Oh, I love that. That is fantastic. I totally don't remember being, you know, obnoxious or anything. But you know, from the time I was young, I did just kind of like to get things organized and bring people together and figure out, you know, what should we be doing here? And didn't know that I was terrorizing the teachers in the process. Oh, that is hysterical. It's hard for me to see that aspect of you in the relationship that we've had. And then at the same time, like, okay, yeah, totally makes sense. Well, I think maybe what I've done over the years is to funnel some of it into a, a more um, helpful way of showing up, perhaps. Well, I think you would have been helpful to your, your fellow kindergartners. I don't think there's any doubt. So in that vein, Julie, you are, you know, from the introduction and some of the books, uh, the, your previous book, the current book, and, and so much writing and work that you've done, you are a champion of people development. I mean, you've written extensively, you've researched. Uh, I've, as I mentioned, I have watched you practice this in terms of, you know, not just like team members that might work for you, but in the world. It's just how you move through the world. You invest in people, and uh, myself included. And I'm curious because you have lived and breathed people development in so many different aspects. What makes you so passionate about it? It probably boils down to my own personal experience of it. I was so incredibly fortunate um, growing up, you know, as a, as a child, as a young person, as a young professional, I had one supervisor after the other who just was a natural developer of talent. Uh, I, I didn't know what I didn't know. You know, I, I didn't appreciate it the way I should have back in the day. I just thought that was how work operated. And I was always confused because my friends would be complaining about their jobs and their bosses. And for me, work was always joyful um, in large part because I had the support of people who made an investment in those around them who saw talent in the raw um, and they were willing to help develop it, um, who put themselves out there uh, and provided the feedback and the coaching and the mentoring that was required. I was incredibly fortunate. And it wasn't until I was about 30 that I had my first sort of, I think about it, a, a bad boss, but she was probably just mediocre. Uh, but by comparison, the contrast of experience was incredible. Uh, and suddenly I realized, wow, um, I had been very uh, lucky all of those years and wanted to make sure that other people were equally lucky and did uh, end up pivoting. And, and most of the work that I've done since that time has been in helping leaders to up their game and be able to develop those around them. So it started with gratitude. For your own experience. Well, I know that, that I and so many others are have equal gratitude for the work that you've done, because this is not a topic that I, I think gets enough attention. And it's one of the reasons that I have valued your work over the years so much is because of the depth of, uh, uh, of research and look and, and analysis and tools that you bring to the table on this. Because every leader, if we're, you know, well, let me not put words in your mouth. I want to ask you, why is people development so important for every leader? I, I'm going to put it out there. It's important for every leader, but why? From your perspective, with your expertise, why is it so vital? You know, it boils down to two things. There's a business case for it. There's a human case for it. 
developing people is good for business. And I think we forget that development is one of the top three drivers of engagement. It taps discretionary effort. It leads to retention, which as we all know is top of mind for leaders these days. It drives better performance. Businesses thrive when people are growing and thriving. So that's just the business case for doing it. But then there's the human case too. We crave it. Human beings crave the opportunity to grow and to contribute and to step up and to feel like they've got a future that's aligned with something bigger than themselves. Um, I think the research suggests that 91% of us say career development is important or very important. Um, and so we've got this innate need to grow, organizations need for us to grow, and that together, as far as I'm concerned, there's not a stronger argument for investing in people. You know, it's one of those topics, and I think one of the reasons that people struggle with it uh, is, you know, I've got this list of priorities, my to-do list never ends, all those elements, and time is precious, and and I've got these results I have to achieve. And then you tell me, oh, goodness, I need to be developing people too and helping them to grow. And oh, that's, it can feel like a lot. And one of the things that, that, that you talk about regularly is how to make that manageable, how to, how to approach it in a way that is not that heavy burdensome type of a thing, but is, I don't want to say light, but it's energetic. And I, I, would you mind talking with us a little bit about if you're feeling that way as a leader, given the importance you just talk, talked about, the business case, the human case, how can we approach people development and investing in people in a way that can work for us? Yeah, that, that is such a great question. And it's interesting because as leaders, we do think about the heaviness of the results. We got results that we have to deliver. We forget that those results get delivered through people, right? And people who are more skillful, people who are more engaged, people who are more motivated, people who bring more to the, the party are the ones who are going to help us deliver those results. And so, you know, I think the first thing is it's a mindset shift to think about development, not as another task on that eternal to-do list, you know, one that just keeps getting moved down every day, week, month but rather to think about development as a relationship, because that's really what it is. Development's a relationship that's played out through conversation. And so frequently leaders think about the burden of those big, huge annual conversations where you have to spend days preparing for it, and then you're spending hours with the person, and then you're documenting it, and then it all goes into a file somewhere until next year this time, right? Um, you know, and that's not, people don't develop as a result of that two hours on July 17th or whatever it is. They're developing every day in between as we weave a thread of, of growth through our, our conversation. So I'm a huge fan of just having some questions, asking one question. In fact, in the training that I do with leaders, we have a challenge. They pick a career development question and they ask it of a partner and they've got literally 60 seconds. And the thing that's always stunning to me is some conversations end before the 60 second mark. Um, because when you're intentional, when you've got a great 
question, when you've got the intention, when you've got the curiosity, one question is career development. Uh, love that. So development is a relationship that that thread weaves through everything. It's not a separate type of thing. And it's core, it's fundamental core to the business results that you're achieving as well as a leader, because you know people who are growing, our results in our team is going to grow as well. You know, so I love the question idea. Just one question can make all the difference. And we're going to get to some of those specific questions because, I mean, you've got hundreds of questions in this book that are, are useful for leaders in, in this regard. But to set the table for us a little bit, when we're talking, and by we, I mean, let, let's grow leaders here. When we're working through leadership development workshops and doing training programs and working with executives, when it comes to this topic of professional development, career development, which we're obviously huge fans completely agree core part of your responsibility as a leader the number one question we get is why i feel this book is so important and that is i'm talking to my people we're having this conversation but they don't they don't want a promotion they at least they're not right now they don't want my job right now what do i do and the wealth of answer that you have for that question, Julie, I want to set the table, let you set the table for us about why promotions are so yesterday and what we can start doing with that question. Well, thank you, because I mean, you really have articulated half of the problem just perfectly. I wrote this book for those managers who find themselves with staff who don't want to move up necessarily or move over, move anywhere. They want to do what they're doing now, but they want more in terms of growth and satisfaction and, and opportunity. The other audience is the group of managers and leaders who are avoiding at all costs those career conversations because their people do want the promotion. And they don't have nothing to offer. Yeah. I mean, you look at organizations today, they're flatter, the bands are broader, you know, with hybrid and remote work now, even those geographic boundaries are gone, which makes competition for roles even greater. Mm -hmm. um, and, and organizations are pyramids. I mean, like the, la the idea of a ladder, at least that was free flowing, but a pyramid gets smaller, the opportunities are fewer as you go. It's just, it's, it's mathematically impossible to give everyone who wants to grow the opportunity to grow, grow with a promotion. And so promotions or so yesterday acknowledges that we've bought into this really limited and limiting definition of what careers are, what development looks like. And if we don't break the frame, if we don't expand that definition, we're gonna to continue to perpetuate um, stress and burnout and dissatisfaction in the workplace. So if you're a leader listening right now, who either has a team of people or, or you could have both of these situations, somebody who likes the work that they're doing, isn't looking for a different or another role right now, but still has that human need to grow. Or if you're a leader who has people who do want 
a promotion or more people management responsibility, but you don't have that available for them right now. If you are in either or both of those camps, this book is such an incredible resource for you. So Julie, you talk about multidimensional career development, which I can't, at least right now, I cannot help but think about Dr. Strange and the multidimensional universe of career <laughs> development. I, to me, that's the, like the third sequel in that series or something. But there, you talk about seven dimensions of career development. So let's run through what those are, maybe get, kind of get the one sentence descriptor. And then I'd like to dive in a little bit deeper into some of these uh, and get really practical for folks. Yeah. Yeah. So my premise is that beyond, between, besides those promotions, there are countless other ways to grow. And as, you know, over the last 10 years or so, talking to hundreds, thousands of people about what career means to them, became clear that there are these other dimensions. And they are contribution, competence, connection, confidence, challenge, contentment, choice, and then there's still that eighth one, the climb, you know, that classic definition. There are times in everyone's career where that is the appropriate next move. The problem with climb is it's generally out of the control of managers and employees. And so we're stymied, we're sitting on our hands. No longer. We've got seven other tangible ways that we can help people grow in ways that the research would suggest um, are more meaningful than that climb anyway. And so let's just t tap into that research for just a second. When you're saying that the research would suggest they're more meaningful, what, what do you mean by that? So I, I knew that these dimensions were valuable to people. It came directly, you know, the, the framework was derived directly from real people. Uh, but, but in my heart, I thought, you know, when it comes right down to it, if people had to decide among them, really, you know, what's going to win? And so we did some research about 750 folks worldwide, and we asked them to rank these eight dimensions, just said, right now, what are you most interested in? And the research came back, it was quite stunning. At the top of the list was contribution. Contribution, people want to grow through contribution more than any of those other dimensions. And that to me is just such an incredibly hopeful, helpful message for managers who are worried, you know, can I give people the kind of development that they want? Who's gonna say no? What organization or leader is gonna say no to more contribution? Um, at the bottom of the list, in aggregate, the least interesting of the dimensions was the climb. And so in aggregate, as we look across ages, genders, levels, and locations, contribution at the top, climb at the bottom. Now it's interesting when you start breaking it down by age, there's a little wiggling around in there. So for instance, the, the younger entrants, the workforce, the 20s and the 30 somethings, they're most interested in competence, but, comp, uh, but contribution is a, a close second. And for the 20 somethings, they're the only ones who didn't rank climb last. For them, choice was last, but climb was a close next uh, runner up to that as well. It kind of makes sense that younger entrants to the workforce might 
be good with the structure that's provided. You know, they might not feel the need for greater autonomy or volition. And have a little bit of that that hunger, that aspirational hunger in terms of the climb as well. So hey, I, as I read the book, of course, I've been thinking about my own journey and how I would rate these. And I, for myself, contribution has always been very high, absolutely, uh, along with competence. And I was thinking about where climb fell in. And certainly when I was younger, climb was a lot more important to me for some other reasons. And I, and I know that these factor in when we're talking about uh, career development, you know, that maybe they're the elephants in the room, but, you know, of both status and money. And those elements, as much as we don't, you know, I talk a lot with leaders about do not take leadership roles for the status or the money because you're not going to have enough of either to make the work worth it. <laughs> and yet those are still motivators for people. And I'm curious how how in the research or in your approach to to development, you've seen leaders deal with those things or how you recommend that they do when those come up in conversations. Yeah, it is really fascinating. And, and I'm sure you've talked to plenty of folks who say they're aspiring to a leadership role. And I frequently find when I get into conversation and start talking with them about, well, what is it about that role that you're looking forward to? You know, what is it that you're looking forward to contributing? Which skills do you anticipate that you're going to really enjoy bringing to bear? They don't have a lot of great answers because they're do, they're, the, the interest is more a reflexive or status money driven sort of approach. So, you know, that does definitely drive decision making in, in many cases. And yet, at the same time, over the last year or so, we have seen, you know, what last year, 43 million Americans as part of the great reshuffle. And people are reevaluating what they want out of work, what their priorities are, the jobs they want their job to do for them. And, you know, there are lots of stories of folks who are walking away from the money and the prestige and the corner office because they've realized in the stark light of day, that wasn't worth it. And I want to do something that's more aligned with who I am my core purpose, how I want to show up and, and what I want to contribute to the, the world. So there's that piece of it. And then I guess the last thing to say about this, I'm working with a lot of organizations who recognize the, the structural problem that's associated with um, more money being the incentive for moving up. And organizations are, and it, this is hard work, uh, and I really applaud the HR departments. It's to, not an overnight thing. No, not at all. And it really does take a lot of serious strategic thought to figure out how can we compensate people maybe for outcomes? How can we put together tracks that reward greater skills and certifications and, and whatnot so that the incentive for uh, the, the, the dollars incentive isn't driving people to do work that frequently is is not of interest to them and doesn't lean into their their skills and superpowers absolutely and you typically when people do those they 
they just don't make the best leaders because they're not there for the people or the purpose of the organization. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it was interesting when I was uh, researching for the book, there was a study from the UK that spoke to the, uh, another motivation for climbing the corporate ladder, looking for those promotions. And a lot of people, you know, we think that we're doing it because we want to have, you know, or people want to have control over others. And this study suggested that it was an attempt to have greater control for ourselves, over mm. ourselves, more autonomy, mm. that folks believe that if I move into that next level, I will have more flexibility, more balance. I'll you know, be the boss of things, which anyone who's been in leadership knows anything but the truth. You get to that next level and you're that much more out of control. More constrained. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, I have not seen that study, but intuitively it makes a lot of sense that 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 could be a motivator as well all right well let's dive into these there's the eight dimensions the seven that are not specifically climb uh and so you've talked a little bit about contribution so let's just start there that was at the top of the list and as a as a manager you're engaged in these career development conversations how do we identify now this is, I'm, I'm partly leading the witness here because you've got a great assessment that people can actually use with their team. So get the book, do the assessments. Conversationally, how can we identify what of these elements are important to our people if we're not picking it up intuitively? Yeah, yeah. So that really is the first step is to figure out what's interesting to people. And if we're not in regular conversation, if we're not investing in that relationship, if there's not psychological safety and trust there that allows people to express who they are and what they love and what's maybe not as interesting to them these days, it makes it a lot tougher. Um, so there is a little bit of relational prerequisite to do this and to do this uh, with ease and well. As you mentioned, there's a self-assessment in the book that will help someone to identify what's most interesting at this point. And we also have a, an online version of it as well. So individuals can go in there and, um, and really get clear on what speaks to them right now? In what ways are they, are they looking to, um, to grow? So the tool, the self-assessment, either digitally or in the, the book, is a great first step to be able to open the door to conversation and begin to explore which of the avenues might be most fruitful and interesting and energizing for folks. So the first step is to get clear on which of these dimensions are of interest. And there are probably a couple, you know, certainly there's going to be a, a top one. But in most cases, as I look at the reports, there are a couple that sort of gravitate toward the, the top. And as much as I'd like for this to be a really tidy, every dimension stays in its lane, they blur. I mean, let's face it. I mean, if I, if I become more competent at something, that likely is going to have an impact on my confidence. And so um, they blur, but in a good way, in a good kind of um, synergistic way. Absolutely. That's been as, as I've read promotions or so yesterday and started having these conversations with leaders. I've read this great book. She, Julie talks about these elements and, and start asking people and, you know, people get reflective like, gosh, well, okay, for me, and exactly what you were saying is that one, you know, it was, I was talking with two leaders and one of them, uh, they were both senior people. And one of them said, 
I think that challenge is my number one. And the other person said, I think it's competence for me, but the way you're talking about challenge is the way I think about competence and, and you've got them defined so we can lay them out that way, but there is an interaction and where we draw the value relates to our personality, our experience and, and so on. So as long as we know that for our team members, we're going to be able to help support them in that journey, right? Oh, absolutely. And, and what you've just described is exactly what needs to happen. It's a conversation. It's an exploration. It's a curious exchange where we create the space for people to look at this idea of career development through a different lens. You know, we've always thought of it as that upward climb or even, you know, in my last book, we had the climbing wall and, and we had the whole lateral thing going, but it was still about movements, right, to somewhere, and sitting still with ourselves and thinking about in this role, what's interesting to me and how can I grow? That's really new for folks. And it does take some time to, you know, to kind of work it through. And conversation is the perfect tool for making that happen. All right. So we're going to get clear on the two or three motivators for our folks and the dimensions that are meaningful for them. Now I want to try to get super practical so people can get a taste of uh, you know, why they need to get this book as soon as they can and, and do the work so they can start helping their people. So let's go back to uh, contribution. So somebody has contribution. It's number one. People are going to have a high frequency of, of folks with that particular dimension. What are some of the practical ways as a leader that I can start supporting people who have that emphasis in their development? Yeah, yeah. So, um, one of the things about the book, we probably should have called it a workbook or a playbook or something, because it's just, it really is very tactical that way in terms of offering tools and templates and questions. And so when it comes to contribution, the first thing we have to do is figure out what does contribution mean to the individual? What does it look like? What will it feel like? How do you want to contribute? Um, and that becomes then the entry point for some co-creation between the manager and the employee, finding ways to make something happen in the workflow that enables the simultaneous you know, giving, the contribution that the employee is willing to make, um, while they also take something back of value as well. Um, because for development to be sustainable, it's got to be a two-way street organization and the individual have to, uh, to both um, benefit. So uh, we've got a whole list of questions, uh, a contribution planner that you can sit down as a manager with your employee and actually go through and start figuring out what does it look like. Now, in some cases, helping people get in touch with their contribution is as simple as creating that breadcrumb trail between what they do and the big picture, what the organization delivers, how customers benefit. You know, we sometimes we just get lost in the in the weeds and, and we can't see the, the forest as a result. So one of the tools is just a, a connecting the dots, working with people to remind them of the contributions that they are making and how their, their piece of the puzzle finishes out the whole picture. Sometimes it's a matter of helping them look at their current role and see where they're the nooks and crannies and the, the corners that aren't fully optimized. You know, when I think about my role, there's so much that I could be doing that I haven't been um, that would be, bring greater value. So where are those and how can we carve out the space for that to happen? 
We also talk about pet projects. Are there special projects, opportunities, voids in the organization, things that real work that needs to be done, real problems that need to be solved that would allow someone to step up, step in, in a new way. But again, all of it is in service of growth as well as as the organizational results that we talked about at the beginning. And so how do we, throughout that process of perhaps taking on this project, how do we keep development in the foreground so that the drudgery of work doesn't drown out the development that's potentially there? Mm. As you're, you're talking, Julie, I'm thinking about a conversation I had with a team member who, uh, a direct report of mine who, basically said, listen, David, I'm doing all of these tasks, but exactly what she said, I'm, I need to do a better job of drawing those connections. We can assume that they're there, but it's different to hear it from you to have somebody to have you recognize this is the impact. This is the contribution, particularly for folks who, who find that meaningful. And, and the other thing that you said that I think is so important is that contribution means a variety of different things to different people. And so whatever your definition is, we can't just assume that that's what it means for somebody else. That's right. It's definitely in the, I don't know, the, in the eye of the developed, not the developer, right? Yeah. You know, that, that, and we're all just working so fast. We're moving so fast these days. It's easy to forget to make those connections for folks, you know, back to that bigger picture painting them into it, helping to, to amplify the, the contribution they are making. And then the other thing that really gets lost because of the speed at which we're all working is that reminder that the contribution is an opportunity to grow. And are we as leaders, are we helping people pause frequently enough to say, what are you learning? How are you different today than you were yesterday? What can you do today that you couldn't do yesterday? Because if we don't create the space for that kind of reflection, employees likely won't either. They're as busy as the managers and leaders are. And when the learning gets lost, it's just more work. That is such a huge principle. It's something that I have been tapping into for myself uh, lately. And I was just, we were talking with another leader who is talking about a process that they have implemented, uh, the commercial sales manager. And he said for his whole team, and he loves spreadsheets. So he's got this and he knows who he is if he's listening, mm -hmm. uh, loves the spreadsheet, but he started a done spreadsheet. So in the, in all of the work that they're doing and as they're working through their priorities and their project plans and everything else, as things are completed, moving those over to a visible record of done and completed and that principle of, as opposed to a to-do list, a what have we accomplished or what have we learned or what skills am I competent in today that I wasn't, a, the, the progress is so incremental that if we don't stop and pay attention to it, we lose the value of, of all the energy that that can bring us. Yeah, and, and we know, I mean, from the, the work of Teresa Amabile, the power of progress cannot be overstated. It is motivating when you see something move from to do to done to when you see something go from being on my list of things I wanted to learn to I got this now. Now, Julie, you live near the ocean. You love the ocean. Am I, am I, I right there? You I do. do. You do. So, In fact, I was there yesterday. I don't mean to rub your nose. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, 
I'm bringing up the ocean to make a point here that you could probably uh, identify with. So uh, Sebastian, our our teenager, and I are both learning to swim. Uh, we're, we entered our first triathlon that's coming up in several months. So uh, Seb and I are both in the pool twice a week trying to, you know, work on it and get better. And we got out of the pool just yesterday and he looked at me and he said, there's nothing like that feeling of slowly getting better at something. Cause he was just a few laps short of a mile yesterday. And he was just so excited about that. He's ahead of me, by the way. Uh, I'm at half a mile. He's, he just about did a whole mile. And, and that, that feeling from a teenager saying, there's just nothing like that feeling is there. Well, first of all, congratulations to, to both of you for even pursuing this. That is, that's remarkable. And doing it with a teenager, David, that's brave. <laughs> he's, he's amazing in his own right. So yes, he is. Yeah. A published author, uh, a remarkable young man. Um, but yeah, don't you love that? And, and the fact that he recognized that just getting better, a little bit better, um, makes a difference. That's huge. And that's how progress works. So my way of talking about this, because I did not grow up near the ocean. I grew up in Colorado and I love hiking the 14,000 foot mountains there. We call them the 14ers. But for me, I call it looking down the mountain. Is that as hard as that slog is, as thin as that air is, and as much as your legs are burning, if I can turn around and look down at the trail and go, wow, it wasn't half an hour. I was all the way down there. Well, if I've come that far, how does that energize and motivate me for the climb ahead? Yeah. Yeah, that's so powerful. And when we can do that, when we can look down the mountain, I love that metaphor. Um, I can only speak it because I will never be able to hike to the top of it. So I have to do this through you. But when we can look down that mountain and recognize what we've done, that can be a, a cue or a clue to employees and leaders alike that it's time to think about what's next in terms of another of these dimensions. Because you know any of these might be interesting at a point in time, but once I have gotten my climbing legs under me and, and gotten up to that level, then maybe I'm competent, I'm feeling good at that, I'm ready for a new challenge. Or maybe I want to have greater autonomy and flexibility and you know have, have more in the way of choice. Or maybe I'm a little tired. And maybe it's time to lean into contentment. Maybe I need to take a step back rather than a step forward and look at what's necessary for greater ease and joy and balance. I, I wanted to go to contentment because uh, in those conversations I had with leaders about your work, that was the one that provoked the greatest amount of head scratching. Uh, because people are like, well, gosh, I don't want people to just be content. I mean, they got to be going after it. And I said, I, that's not what we're talking about. Not the way I'm reading it. So I'd love for you to unpack and what you were talking about, that sense of ease, or if I'm tired, or what is, what is contentment as a career development objective? Yeah, it doesn't fit the career development mold at all, does it? I mean, challenge, competence, I mean, you can argue for all of those. But contentment's a little bit of a different animal, and yet I think it's probably more timely uh, now than ever before. When we look at people who are joining the workforce now, they are going to be working for 40, 50, maybe more years. We are talking about an incredible work-life trajectory. 
And it's impossible to treat that as a sprint. I mean, if we're not looking at that as a, a marathon, um, the, the, the burnout, the mental health, the anxiety, everything that we're currently seeing in the, the workplace is just going to get worse. And so over the course of those 40 or 50 years, there are going to be times when your best step forward is actually taking a step back, that in order to sustain yourself for the long haul, you've got to double down on, you know, how can I find more meaning here? How can I make this experience more joyful? Where can I um, create greater balance? Uh, again, so that I've got the energy reserves to keep going. So contentment is not about slacking off and sitting back and putting your feet up, but actively engaging in a way with the work that serves you as an individual while you're serving the organization. And when we can do that, in a sustainable way, that's the kind of workforce we want, the kind of resilient, gritty workforce that we want and need. I know it's so valuable for me personally, I, as you're using the sprint metaphor, I know that when I get through or I'm in an extended period of sprint, absolutely, that, because that rebalance, that revitalization, reorientation and getting the proper, a healthy, sustainable cadence back, is so important. And if I'm not intentional about it, it doesn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. And in the workplace, if we're not doing that for ourselves as individuals, it's hard for those around us to, you know, um, as much as managers are trying to do the pulse checks, keep up with folks, it's hard to see what's really going on in, inside of people. And so creating the, the space and the permission for people to say, hmm, you know, this might be a, a time when I need to reorient a little bit. Can we figure out a way for me to maybe work some different hours, work from home, um, maybe take on something that's uh, a passion project that's going to give me the juice that balances out the other things that I'm doing. And it all, again, it goes back to, as we said, right from the beginning, back to the conversations that we're having in an ongoing fashion that keep us abreast of what's going on with those around us. All right, we are getting close to the end of our time talking with Julie Winkle Giuliani here. The book is called Promotions Are So Yesterday, Redefine Career Development, Help Employees Thrive. I wanna quote one other part of the book and then ask you a final question uh, that, uh, on a topic that I think will tie a bow on all this that is so important. But before I do that, Julie, where do we find you? Where do we pick up the book? Where do we get all those assessments and uh, discussion guides and everything else that you have for us? Thank you for asking, David. Probably the best place is my website, which is my name, juliewinklegiulioni.com. And I'm sure you'll put that in the show notes. Absolutely. It's a lot of vowels. Uh, and uh, the assessment is there. More information about the book and our services are there. And uh, Promotions Are So Yesterday is available for pre-order at all your fine booksellers. So pick it up and all of the uh, all of the assessments and guides and everything. Also in the book, there are QR codes or there's a way to get to them from the book as well. So if you forget Julie's name or you're driving, you don't get back to the website to get the link. Just remember promotions are so yesterday. All right. So I want to read the epigraph you have for chapter nine. The final chapter possibilities are the new promotion. 
For decades, promotions have been the default definition of career development, establishing unattainable and unsustainable expectations for millions of employees who didn't know there was another way to grow. The fallout of this can be seen all around you in engagement results, organizational culture surveys, and unwanted turnover. And we've talked about some of those elements through the show, but then as you get into the chapter, you say, but employees aren't the only ones who've been victimized by this narrow and outdated definition. So have you. You're talking to managers and leaders there. How have managers and leaders been victimized by that particular approach? And why is this a healthier way for us to approach career development? Managers and leaders have been boxed in and limited, just like employees, by this narrow definition of what career development is. The anxiety, the stress, the the fear that I hear from managers who don't want to disappoint their people, who don't want to disappoint their organizations, who don't want to lose good people, but don't have promotions to offer. I cannot tell you the hundreds of conversations I've had with managers like that. And it's just not necessary. If we can embrace, if we can reimagine career development and embrace this broader definition that includes the other dimensions that we know are more interesting to people than the climb, managers don't have to be victimized anymore. They become victors in all of this, offering exactly the kind of development that people crave and that will serve their organizations in the process. And that whether contentment was on your list personally or not, you do that and you watch that happen in your people. And I guarantee you're going to have more job satisfaction and contentment in the work that you're doing and the results that you're seeing. Julie, thank you so much. It has been such a pleasure to talk about this. And and, uh, as you're talking about career development, what is one final piece of advice that you would give leaders who are listening today? Career development is far more within your control than you've ever imagined. And if you start talking with folks, if we introduce this kind of an expanded definition, you're going to find countless ways to engage and satisfy and retain that talent that you need so much. All right. So tap into the multi-dimensions. You've got eight of them, seven in addition to that traditional climb. Julie, thanks again. Listeners, invest in your people, figure out where you are for yourself, ask for what you need. And as you're investing in your people and their career development and all these different dimensions, you'll be the leader you'd want your boss to be. Until next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.